0: Welcome to The Chapel Online. At The Chapel, we're about helping people meet, know, and follow Jesus on the campus, in the city, and around the world. Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Abram Eberson. I'm the sending director here at The Chapel. And when Dave asked to raise your hand, uh, if you were a part of the college ministry, Um, That was me. That was my wife. We came to LSU back in 2010. Uh, We were already believers, but the Lord used the chapel through the refuge to transform our lives in an amazing way. And one of the things he did through that ministry was give us faithful men and women who taught us how to read his book and how to study his book. And so I just want to say thank you, Um, a special thank you to you guys at Segan. Um, for just your prayers for the college ministry, for uh, just supporting that college ministry for all these years. It truly is an amazing ministry that has changed so many lives, is continuing to change so many lives, but not just that, but is actually changing and impacting the world as a whole as we continue to send people bringing the gospel to the nations. Uh, If you were with us last week, we started a sermon series called The Bible Is. And that's exactly what we are looking at, the Bible is. Last week we covered the Bible is revelation from God. right? So Steve talked about a book by Francis Schaeffer that was called God is Real and He is Not Silent. Just saying that God truly does exist, but not only does He exist, He has actually spoken and communicated and He has done that through His Word, the Bible. And he reveals himself to us through the Bible, and he's done this in a pretty beautiful way where he is the ultimate author of this book, but he has also invited people into that process. right? And we saw in Second Peter how it says that the Holy Spirit carried along those authors as they were writing down. So there's a huge mystery in how this book was actually written, but it's this beautiful process that God used. And now we have his revelation to us, but not just that. God has actually done something pretty incredible. In his revelation, he has actually made it one coherent, unified story. So from Genesis to Revelation, beginning to end, there is one unified story within the Bible. This is something amazing that God has done, because if you actually look at the Bible... Right, there are secular scholars that spend their lives studying this book. And as you just peel back the layers of complexity to this book, you quickly start to realize how otherworldly it is. So beyond human capacity to be able to make one unified story out of this book because it's extremely diverse. Right, there are over 35 authors that contributed to this. This happened on three different continents in three different languages. Right, and all the authors had all sorts of different backgrounds, from shepherds to kings, a doctor, scribes, scholars. Right, all sorts of people contributed to this, and it happened over 2,000 years—a span of 2,000 years where these documents were written. Right, and there is—if you actually look at that—that that is insane, because there is no other book like this, and for this book to have one unified story truly is. Otherworldly. It is outside of the human capacity to be able to do that. And so that's what we're going to be looking at today. The Bible is one story. And so before we jump into that, uh, I just want to spend a minute to pray for a family. So Cam and Tricia Smith, if y'all don't mind standing up in the back. If, if everyone could just look at them, can y'all just wave real quick? So that is Cam, Tricia, Eli, and Joe. Um, they are some of our best friends. Me and my wife Helen—they are some of our best friends. But as you guys know, we are a sending church, which means we are sending people all over the world to unreached, unengaged language groups. And so they were commissioned by the chapel over five years ago. Uh, they have spent some time living in another country. They did their first term. They completed it. Uh, they learned the first language. They started a business. And they have just completed their stateside assignment, which has been an eight-month process of trying to rest, trying to prepare for this next season of life. And at the end of this month, they are heading back uh, overseas. And this time, they are actually moving to a group. They have a language group selected. Their next task is to learn that language, to understand that culture, and ultimately to leave behind a church in a group that has never had the church and will not have a church, will not have the gospel, unless someone brings it to them. So uh, they are some of our best friends, and I just want to spend a couple of minutes praying for them. So if you would just join me in prayer, uh, y'all can remain standing. Father, we thank you for this family. Lord, we thank you ultimately for the work you've done in their hearts to save them. Lord, to bring them to you. And God, to to raise them up, to sanctify them, and then to send them out through the chapel. Father, I pray that as they go back, that you would give us wisdom on how to love them well, how to support them well. And God, I pray you would just go before them. Lord, just prepare their steps, just every step of the way on this journey. Father, I pray that they would just taste the sweetness of who you are. Every day they would grow closer and closer to you and fall more in love with Jesus. And so, Father, I pray uh, just that you would give them wisdom, give them insight, Lord, strengthen them, give them sweet time in your word as they go. Lord, and we thank you for Eli and Joe. They're some of my kids' best friends. Uh, What a privilege it is to see them and just the smiles on their faces. So help them with homeschooling uh, as they continue to do that, and we just pray your blessings over this family. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. So we are going to pick up um, where we were, the story of Scripture, right? So God has revealed to us that Scripture is one big unified story. We're going to look exactly at that. And like any sermon, a good place to start um, is, what does Jesus say about that, right? So if I'm going to be preaching on forgiveness, if I'm going to be preaching on joy, right, something like that, a great place to start is, well, what does Jesus say about joy? What does Jesus say, about forgiveness, Well, thankfully for me and for all of us, Jesus actually has a wonderfully clear one-sentence summary of what the story of Scripture is. So if you would go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 24, Luke chapter 24, verse 42. And just to paint uh, the picture of where we are to give some context, this is the last chapter in the Gospel of Luke. And so at this point, Jesus has done his ministry, he has lived his life, he has been crucified, and he is actually raised from the dead. And this is before the ascension, and Jesus is doing something miraculous. He is going around appearing to his disciples, and ultimately he's helping them. Because at this point, they're extremely confused that why would the Messiah, the promised one, have to die, especially die on a cross? And so they're just kind of in a state of confusion, Um I'm sure they are very depressed. The one they have come to believe to be the Savior, the Messiah, has died. But Jesus does something amazing. His disciples are actually gathered in a room. It's the 11 and the others. Um, the road to Emmaus just happened. And so they're hearing all about that. And Jesus appears to them. And it, uh, <laughs> I, I read it, and it's hilarious because Jesus appears to them, and he proves that he is actually there in the flesh. He shows them the holes in his hands, the holes in his feet, and they start to realize, oh my gosh, this is actually Jesus. He has resurrected and he is here. But then Jesus takes it one step further and he asks them for some fish. And I always laugh because I think Jesus would have fit in great in Louisiana. And they give him a piece of broiled fish. Here would have been some fried fish. But it's just amazing to see that Jesus is there with his disciples. And so pick up with me on verse 42, chapter 24, verse 42. They give him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Right, so Jesus is reminding them of the three years of ministry he had with them. This is what I taught you. Right, so Jesus is about to share with them the big picture story of scripture, which is going to clarify all of their confusion, right? It's all about to make sense to them. Right? This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. This was a way of saying the whole Bible. And at that time, it was the Old Testament. So Jesus basically saying, the whole Old Testament is fulfilled in me. Right? And he says this, where it says this, it says, then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. Again, Jesus helping his disciples to understand the big picture story of scripture. He opens their minds and Jesus says this. This is what is written. And this is the summary statement of the Old Testament. Right, The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead and on that third day will rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the givenness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. Right, so this is Jesus' summary statement of the Bible. And this is exactly where we are, what we're gonna look at. And not only that, we know that Jesus actually took his disciples through the Bible, right? As he opened their eyes to see, he led them all throughout the Bible, right? For them, probably Genesis to Malachi, Old Testament walking through the Old Testament, showing them how this summary statement is true all throughout Scripture. This is the story of Scripture, and that's exactly what we are going to be doing today, except we have 30 minutes to do so. So buckle up. Uh, Better listen fast, because we have a lot to cover but before we jump into it, we're going to go back to Genesis. But before we do that, there's just one thing I want to highlight about Jesus' summary statement. His summary statement really has two parts to it, right? It has two parts to it. You can't separate the two parts, but there are two parts to it. Uh, the first is that the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. Right, That's the gospel, I'm just going to put a label to that that's going to help us trace this theme throughout Scripture. And the label for that is the promise. So we're going to be looking at how the promise is traced all throughout Scripture. And then the second part is that repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in His name to all nations. Right? Repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in His name to all nations. That we're going to call the plan. So in Jesus' summary of the Bible, we see the promise, and we see the plan. And we're about to trace that from Genesis all the way through to Revelation, okay? So starting in the very beginning, Genesis 1:28. So at this point, the God of the universe, right, he's created the universe, he's spoken it into existence, he's created land, he's created sky, sea, he's filled it with animals, and he looks at everything he's created and he said, it is good. Then he creates man in his own image, and he says man is very good, right? Man is good, good, doubly good. And God creates Adam, he creates Eve, and God has this, this amazing moment with them. Genesis 1:28 says this. It says, God blessed them and said to them, right here we see God establishing his plan. So as we go through these stories, we're gonna be looking at the plan and the promise. Here we see the plan established. God said, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. So at this point, right, God creates man and woman, and he just blesses them. And and what have they done to receive his blessing, right? What have they done to earn his blessing at this point? Right, nothing. He's literally just created them, and he blesses them, Right so you see God's blessing upon them and whenever you receive something that you don't deserve right and it's in that positive sense that's called grace right so right from the very beginning we see God's grace in creating man and woman and him just blessing them they don't deserve it they've done nothing at this point except just breathe yet he blesses them and then we see the plan established be fruitful and increase in number fill the earth and subdue it God has created man And he's done something amazing. He has made man in his image, right? Totally different from all other creation. God has made man in his image. And with that, there is an incredible purpose that God has with that, right? He wants man to worship him. He wants man to reflect his glory back to him through praise and worship, right? So we are, as humans are created in God's image and we have an amazing purpose, and that is to reflect his glory back to him through praise and worship, right? And you see the plan is not just for Adam and Eve, but he actually wants them to fill the earth. God wants a world full of worshipers, people who love him, people who glorify him, right? So he tells them to fill the earth. That's the plan that God has. And to put a tagline to the plan, it's this. The plan is for people to enjoy God's grace and to extend his glory, Right, so with Adam and Eve, enjoy my grace. He just blesses them. His blessing is just upon them. And then he tells them to extend his glory, fill the earth, be fruitful. So we see the plan established and we don't have to move very far to see man fail at that plan, right? So as we move forward with the story of Adam and Eve, we eventually get to Genesis chapter three. We see the fall, right? Man trusts the serpent over trusting God and man and woman to fall into sin, and in devastation, and this whole plan that God has goes wildly wrong, right? Instead of being in the presence of God in the garden, God actually, he judges sin like he always does. He judges Adam and Eve, and he sends them out of the garden, right? Out of his presence. So man no longer is enjoying God's grace. They have been sent out of the garden, So we see the plan go horribly wrong, but in the story, we don't just see the plan go wrong, we actually see God's promise come in, right? We're tracing the plan and the promise of God all the way throughout scripture. And where we see the promise is when God is cursing the serpent, right? So he's cursing Satan. And in that, we actually see this amazing promise given to Adam and Eve. So follow along, it says, and I will put enmity between you, talking to Satan and the the serpent, and the woman, And between your offspring and hers. So between Satan's offspring and the woman's offspring, there will be enmity. He, talking about ultimately Jesus, right, this offspring of the woman, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Right, so in that curse of cursing Satan, God gives a promise to Adam and Eve that there will be someone from her offspring who will crush the head of the serpent right, who will defeat Satan, who will defeat sin, and conquer death, right, the enemy of mankind will be defeated, and we now know that's Jesus, but that is the promise that God gives him, and the promise, the tagline for that is the promise is that God will deliver his people, right, so we see the plan established, we see man fail at it, and then we see the promise come in, The promise that God will deliver his people. And in Genesis 3.15, what we actually see is this is what scholars call the first gospel. This is the first time that we see the gospel in scripture. It's this promise of this snake crusher to come. And we ultimately know that it's Jesus. And so today as we're walking through our um, outline, we're going to have three points. And our three points are going to follow the threefold storytelling grid that we all learned in middle school which is introduction, plot, and conclusion, okay? So we have the introduction, and this is it. The introduction reveals God's plan and promise, right? So in the very first three chapters of Genesis, we see the introduction, we see God revealing his plan for humanity to fill the earth, and for his glory to fill the earth, and we see the promise. Man fails, but God provides a promise to deliver his people. Right, so as we fast forward, um, we need to pick up the pace to get through the whole Bible. Right, so the story continues, and we eventually get to Noah and the flood. Right, so Adam and Eve, they had Cain and Abel. Cain kills Abel, so brother kills brother. And we just see humanity fall into sin and continue to spiral deeper and deeper and deeper into sin, ultimately to the point where God honestly regrets making humanity and wants to start over. Right, scripture actually says that the earth is full of violence. Right, so at this point, how opposite is that compared to God's original plan? Right, he wants His worshipers to fill the earth, but instead, we have filled the earth with violence. Right, So God, again, He always judges sin, and so He goes down and He's gonna judge sin. And so He is gonna flood the earth. Right, He's gonna wipe out humanity, And you see the plan kind of playing out in that, but you also see a promise within this story. And that's the promise that God gives Noah, right? He goes down to Noah and he tells him to build an ark for Noah and his family, right? So God, again, provides the promise of deliverance for his people. So Noah and his family eventually build the ark and the rain comes, the flood comes, but Noah and his family are safe in the ark, right? So everyone else perishes, but God, has saved humanity, has provided deliverance through Noah and the ark. And something amazing happens when uh, Noah finally comes out of the ark, right? So the the rain stops, the water subsides, the ark lands, God opens it, and Noah and his family step out. And if you look at Genesis uh, 9-1, you actually hear something that should sound very familiar. right? It says, Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth, right? That's the exact same promise, that exact same command that he gave Adam and Eve. He blesses them, and then he tells them to be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth, right? Going back to that original plan of wanting worshipers, wanting his image bearers to be filling the world, worshiping him, glorifying him, praising him, right? And as you fast forward to the next story in scripture, you come to the Tower of Babel, Right, and this is in Genesis 11:4, 4, and listen to what this says. Then they said, come, this is humanity, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens, so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the earth. Right, again, man is in complete, utter disobedience to God's plan they are not filling the earth they are not worshiping him instead they have built a city and a tower in this city so that they will not scatter and fill the earth and they're building it to glorify their own names so they're trying to rob God's glory and not scatter right so again in complete disobedience to God's plan but we still see the promise in the story right, because God had made a promise to Noah. He had made a covenant with Noah that God will not wipe out humanity again, right, and he gives the rainbow as a symbol to that, as a reminder. So instead of wiping out the people, giving them what they truly deserve, we see God provide deliverance for his people. He goes down and he actually confuses their language and he scatters them, right, so that causes them, so instead of wiping them out, God shows mercy on them, he confuses their languages, and they scatter. And so the story goes on, and the next uh, big moment that we get to is the story of Abraham. right? So at this point, the pattern has become pretty clear. right? God has a plan. Humanity fails at that plan. God provides deliverance. Humanity, God has a plan. Humanity fails at that plan. God provides deliverance. And that's a pattern we are going to continue to see unfold in these stories. So the next one is the story of Abraham, right? So at this point, God has filled the earth. People have been scattered, but the issue is they aren't worshiping him, right? And they formed into all these different nations because they're speaking different languages. And so God makes a plan. He's going to pick one man, and through his family, he is going to move that ultimate, that plan, and that promise. So the Lord is going to move his promise through this man. So he takes this man, he takes his family, and eventually he's going to make a nation out of them, a nation that is going to be a blessing to all nations. So listen to what this says in Genesis 12, 1 through 3. And at this point, um, Abraham was not worshiping God, right? So God comes to Abraham, and he reveals himself to him. Genesis 12, 1 through 3 says this, The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. And, and just as I read this next part, I want you to just think about um, the plan and the promise. See if you can, can hear it in this. Right, so verse 2, it says, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Right, so this story of Abraham truly is a hinge moment within all of Scripture, right? Because God comes to Abram and he selects him and makes a nation out of his family, right? And God gives him these amazing promises I'm gonna bless you. Again, you see God's plan playing out right? Enjoy my grace and extend my glory. He just blesses Abraham, right? He didn't deserve it. And God just blesses him and tells him that he is eventually going to be a blessing to all nations. And so you see the promise slowly starting to unfold and move through this man and his family, right? And at this point, God is starting to make clear this idea of nations, uh, that he wants his name to be praised through all nations, which is a theme that's going to continue. And you see the plan continuing to unfold. And at this point, when we look at the story of Abraham, um, what we know now is that it's actually the gospel, the promise is the gospel moving through. And this blessing to all nations is actually the, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ going to the nations. And we actually get this clarity from Galatians chapter 3, verse 8. This is Paul talking he says, Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. Right? So, in this whole blessing of Abraham and God telling him he will be a blessing to all nations, he's actually sharing the gospel, the gospel of Jesus. Right? This promise that we see throughout Scripture is the gospel of Jesus. Right? And he says to Abraham, All nations will be blessed through you. Right, the promise of deliverance is the gospel of Jesus. Right. And so the story goes on, and then Abraham has Isaac, Isaac has Jacob, Jacob has Joseph, right? And in all of that, you have all sorts of family dysfunction and family drama. Like if you think your family's dysfunctional, you have nothing on these guys. Like it is just a a complete, utter just show of just dysfunction. And so, they continue, and the Lord ultimately moves them, and they land in Egypt. Our Joseph is in Egypt, his brothers come, and they settle in Egypt. And again, you start to see the plan and the promise unfolding. So, in Egypt, God has this nation now called the Israelites. In over hundreds of years, God allows them to multiply and to grow into this huge number, millions of them. Right? But then there's this Pharaoh, and Pharaoh sees this, and he actually enslaves the Israelites... And God sees that for 400 years they're in slavery, but God still has a plan, God still has a promise, right? So there are nations all over the world, and he is starting to create a nation for himself, and this nation is going to be a blessing to those nations, but they're in slavery. So what does God do, right? You start to track the promise, and you see God raise up a man named Moses, who is going to deliver the Israelites from Pharaoh. Right, and so you see this whole back and forth that happens with this whole drama of the Exodus, of God telling Moses to go to the Pharaoh and to let his people go, and they keep going back and forth, back and forth, and God starts sending these plagues. And you get to the seventh plague. After the seventh plague, um, God actually gives us some insight into what's going on here. And that's Exodus chapter 9, 15 through 16, right? So, This is God speaking through Moses to Pharaoh, and he says, For by now I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with a plague that would have wiped you off the earth. Right? God could have just snapped his fingers and killed Pharaoh. But I have raised you up for this very purpose, that I might show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Again, you see the plan. God has raised up Pharaoh so that when he does this insane miracle of sending the plagues, freeing this nation that's been enslaved, he parts the Red Sea. All of this is so that the nations will know that the God of Israel is the true God. And so you start to see the promise of God woven into the plan of God all within this whole Exodus drama. And there's just one thing I I need to point out about this, and that's the Passover, right? So there's uh, this last plague is the angel of death is gonna come through and kill all the firstborn within Egypt, right? Pharaoh has been so stubborn and hard-hearted that he has um, really forced this to happen. And so the Lord sends his judgment, but what he tells his people is to take a lamb and to sacrifice that lamb, and then to take the blood from that lamb, and then to, to wipe it on the doorpost, right? So, so the lamb they've sacrificed, take the blood from that lamb, and then to wipe that on the doorpost. And what that will symbol, it'll symbol to the angel of death that that house has been covered. A lamb has been sacrificed in the place of that firstborn, and then the angel of death will pass over that household. Right, and this is a theme that we're going to come back to. I just needed to mention that, but God again provides deliverance for His people, and you see that with the lamb in Passover, right? And so, as we, if we were, if we had time, we'd continue to walk through the Old Testament and go through all sorts of stories that highlight that. But I have a slide here that just um, is a quick overview of the Old Testament, and these are just some of the verses throughout the rest of the Old Testament that highlights these same two themes being played out, God's promise and God's plan, right? For all nations to come and know him, right? He wants a world filled with worshipers. And just a quick example, right? We just walked through the book of Ruth, right? And so so often it's easy to say, oh, it's this wonderful like love story. But again, if you step back, you look at the book of Ruth, again, you see the plan in the promise of God, weaving itself through that story, right? You look at Ruth, who was outside. She was an outsider, a Moabite. She was not one of the Israelites. She is from another nation. She comes to enjoy the grace of God, right? You see his his glory extending to other nations, but not just that within the law, right? We love Boaz. He's the kinsman redeemer, but you actually see written within the law God's provision for his people, right? God's promise of deliverance. And Boaz is that for Ruth. But then at the end of it, you start to realize the lineage that's going on. right? So even through this small love story, you see the promise and plan of God working itself out, the bigger picture of Scripture, God continuing to weave those threads just throughout all of Scripture. right? You see that in David and Goliath, Daniel and the lion's den, all of those right? So the plot, this is our second point for today, and it's this. The plot reveals God's faithfulness, right? As we continue to read story after story after story, we see the plan, we see humanity fail, but we see God being faithful to provide a deliverer for his people, right? So point number two is the plot reveals God's faithfulness, right? And so as we continue through Judges, Kings, the prophets, right? We eventually, the Old Testament ends and then you turn the page and you get to the New Testament, right? And as the first page, the first thing you see within the New Testament is Matthew 1, 1, where it starts to lay out the lineage, the genealogy of Jesus. And right there, it automatically links him back to Abraham, the son of Abraham. And in that, you see it linking all the way back to that promise and that covenant that God made with Abraham. Jesus is that. He is the one who is going to be a blessing to all nations, right? And you trace that theme and you get to the life of Jesus, right? The three years of ministry, as we just uh, read earlier, like this is what he was trying to tell his disciples the whole time he was with them, but he needs to open their minds to understand the scriptures. They come to realize that they make sense of everything. And then Jesus gives them the great commission to go and make disciples of all nations, Right, so that theme continues, Right, the plan of God, the promise of God. We actually now are very clear that Jesus Christ is the promise. He is the deliverer. We see that continue, that baton being passed from the first uh, disciples, the apostles being passed to the next generation, and the next generation, and the next generation, ultimately until that lands with us. Right, And as a church, we've made a commitment that we are going to be a sending church. We are going to have a focus on the nations, Right, we are going to partake in God's plan by continuing to move His promise to the nations, by sending people where there is no gospel, where there is no church. And ultimately, we fast forward to the conclusion. The conclusion of Scripture, the conclusion of this timeline, of this story. And we get to Revelation, the last book in the Bible. We get to Revelation 5, 6 through, 6 through 9. And I'm just going to read this for us. It says, Then I saw a lamb. Right. So remember when I talked about the Passover and how the lamb was the substitute for the firstborn? Even if you trace that further back to the story of Abraham and Isaac, where Abraham is going to sacrifice Isaac, again, God provides. You see that promise in God's provision to deliver his people. He delivers Isaac by giving a substitutionary lamb. And they sacrifice the lamb. You fast forward to the Exodus. You see the lamb, right? And you can fast forward all the way to John the Baptist when he first, or when he sees Jesus, and he says, "The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world," right? That promise, that promised lamb, the lamb who's going to be a substitute for humanity, right? That is who Jesus is. The promise has fully is is just. Um, It's just fulfilled within Jesus, right? It's all pointing to him. So that's the lamb that John sees. He says, then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, right? The punishment for sin is death, right? And Jesus is the substitute for that. So he dies in our place. Right, it says, "'Standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders, the Lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of Him who sat on the throne. And when He had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense.'" which are the prayers of God's people, and they sang a new song saying, right? So I'm about to read the song, but again, I want you to think the fulfillment of the plan and the promise, and as I read this, just think about that, the fulfillment of the plan and the promise in the Lamb of God, right? You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, right? No one else is worthy to do that, only the Lamb of God that says because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for god persons from every tribe and language and people and nation right in these verses right at the end we see the fulfillment of god's plan and promise from the beginning of genesis all the way to the end of scripture and revelation fulfilled in christ so our third point for today Is that the conclusion reveals god's fulfillment right that jesus is the fulfillment of that theme right as he tells his disciples uh, this is what scripture is about everything is pointing to me everything is centered around me i am the fulfillment of that promise that you were waiting for in my life my death my resurrection Right, that is what all this is. This is the fulfillment of that. Jesus is the fulfillment of all of those prophecies. And there's just two quick takeaways for all of us within this, I just want to point out. Because this is such a a large scale, big picture of Scripture, how does this really apply to us? Well, the first is um, just as we look at Scripture, right, as we read the stories throughout Scripture, uh, we are not the hero. Right it's pretty evident that humanity is not the hero but in our flesh it's so easy for us to read ourselves into the story as the hero right we take David and Goliath for example and we think that we are David we're God's chosen one who's going to deliver everyone we're going to conquer our giants but that's so far from being true we're just we are the scared israelites who can't fight Goliath and then God in his promise to deliver his people provides Someone in our place to do that, right? The story of Moses. We are not Moses in the story. We are the ones who are enslaved, We're not enslaved to Pharaoh, we're enslaved to our sin. And we need a deliverer to deliver us, right? Just like with Abraham, we are not Abraham. We are his neighbor who has no idea who God is, right? Until we're told about him and brought into the family of Abraham, Right, so we are not the main character of, this, of the Bible story. We are not the hero, and we can't read that into Scripture. We have to read ourselves as the ones who need deliverance from our sin. And then the second part, just the takeaway, is that uh, not only are we not the, the main character, the hero of Scripture, like we're not even the main character of our own story. Right, We're not even the hero of our own story. So I was with my uh, five-year-old son, and we were reading a book, it's called A Little Pilgrim's Big Journey. Um, and in this, it's basically Pilgrim's Progress, but put in a kid format. And it's an amazing little book. And the main character is a guy named Christian, and we're reading through, and then we eventually get to a couple of pages where Christian isn't even mentioned, and it's all about the king of the celestial city. And so my son asked me, he's like, well, dad, what about Christian? And I just kind of nonchalantly said, oh, well, um, it's really just, you know, it's about the king and I didn't realize what I had said. And then it's like the light bulb went off in my mind and like the scales fell off and I realized, oh my gosh, like this story about Pilgrim's Progress, about Christian, it's not even about him, it's ultimately about the king. And then I took that and applied it to my life of, oh my gosh, the story of Abram, of me, is not actually about me, it's ultimately about God. All right? I am made in his image, you are made in his image. At the end of the day, your story, my story, it's not about you and me. It's ultimately about our creator. It's about God. And so as we look throughout scripture, we just need to be reminded of those things. Um, We are not the hero of scripture. Uh, We are not even the hero of our own lives. Christ is the hero of scripture. Christ is the hero of our lives. So please pray with me. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your revelation. Lord, where would we be without Scripture? God, you have chosen to reveal yourself to us through your words. You have spoken, right? And you have spoken through some human authors who have written this down. Father, we thank you for that. We thank you for the Bible. God, I pray that as we uh, look at the big picture of Scripture, Lord, that you would help remind us. You remind us of the plan. You remind us of the promise. You would remind us that we continue to fail, right? Humanity as a whole, but us as individuals, we continue to fail time and time again. There is no way for us to fulfill your plan without your promise. Lord, we are in desperate need of your son each and every day. So Lord, I pray you would remind us of that. We are not the heroes, but Christ is the hero of the Bible and of our own stories. And we pray all this in his name. Amen. Thanks for joining us. To find out more about the chapel, visit thechapelbr.com.